All right. Well, as I've alluded to a few times, we're going to be staying here in the the, uh, the Netherlands a little longer, at least two years, because that's as long as that is the rest of the term of like this expat status where we don't have to pay full full taxes. So, you know, we'll see how it goes after that. But we uh, I don't want to jinx it, as I say, but we have gotten a bid accepted for a house. So we've got a house that we hopefully will get if everything turns out fine and we figure it all out. You know, you got to do the paperwork. Right. Right. And uh, so I almost have the experience of buying a house in the uh, the Netherlands, which we've talked about this. It sounds like Austin is now like that, where you have to uh, write a letter to people. We didn't actually have to do that. But, you know, right. where the asking price traditionally when I was buying houses, when I bought the two houses uh, in Austin that uh, that we bought, you would actually end up paying less than the list price. Right. Yep. But now it seems like you have to, uh, I don't know, like bring some Fabergé eggs. That's right. To the, Seller's uh, market. You got to like, yeah, you got to yeah. do more than what's asked for sure. That's and, right. That's and I right. want to ask you like the word used um, bid, right? Because like, you know, here we would say like you submitted an offer. So like, was it, yes. is it like an, is, is it, are you using the word bid because it's like an auction? It's more like well, an auction that, than it is here. I think that's just the translation that like okay. we, that we have won the bid. I love the term win. Right. Like okay. we have won the chance to pay someone a lot of money for something. Okay. So but, that would be the equivalent of your offer has been accepted. But yes, our offer has been accepted. And there are there are apparently two other people offering. And so ours was accepted above them. And, you know, the, the way they do it here is you don't really have uh, they don't tell you how much other people were offering you you just are accepted. So you never it's it's very like it's one of these things where like the way that you think about it is either for the rest of your life vexing or very comforting, right? So on the on the vexing hand, you're like, oh, did we offer too much money? Maybe we offered too much money. If if we like, it's one of those, it's, it's that old thing that we joke about every now and then where if you offer a purchase price and the person you're buying from immediately immediately accepts it, you're like, holy shit, I'm getting ripped off. Right. Like, <laughs> like I, I have offered way too much. So you could take that stance. On the other hand, you will never know what the other offers were. So maybe you were one euro above it. Right. So there, it's impossible to figure out if you have bid too much or not. But anyways, here's what here's what I wanted to throw out here, uh, Brandon, because I know you're from New England and maybe you've experienced this <laughs> yes. is we potentially if everything goes through. We are going to live in a house without, as we call it back in the States, a yard. Okay. Right. Yep. And so is this going to be all right? Should we have gotten a yard? How are we going to cope? I think it's completely determined on your pet situation. Do you already walk the dogs? This, is it already important? Do you already walk Oof. the dogs for the, for the we, dogs to do their business? We do not already walk the dogs. Hmm. I think, well, then I think it's, it is you, my friend are up for some dog walking, some early yes, morning dog, yes, because unless yeah. they're, unless you're telling me you have some other situation. So mm. the primary, I agree. Like, I know you mentioned this last week is like, should you pay so much money for the dogs to have a place to go to the bathroom here where I, in Austin, you know, where you're from is like, I would actually answer the question. Yes. Because getting up to have to walk the dogs every morning at like whatever time it is, uh, yeah, is yeah. a real pain. And so now uh, when we had that, when we had our dog, like it was very convenient just to let the dog. Cause I went from a situation oh, sure, where we didn't sure. have a yard to a situation we did. And I was like, this is really worth it. But as far as like, I don't personally, I like the other thing that you, you alluded to. And it sounds like 
Netherlands has lots of this or the area you're in is like, it is actually much better to just go use like the parks and yeah, like the public yeah. uh, spaces. It's kind of like getting a pool. Like people, everyone wants a pool. I don't know, maybe not everyone, but like it's it is nice if you have one in the backyard. But it's really it never makes any sense. It's like it's better yeah. to just go use like a nice pool that is in the community, right? Um, but I will say, like, uh, unless your children, I, don't, I mean, I know I know the ages of your children. Let's be honest; they're not gonna they're not gonna be walking the dog. No, and, and, and our, our 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 dog is not calm enough that it would be safe. Not yeah. safe, but you know, our yeah. dog would like lurch and. You know, yeah. I think Cormac so, would have to start doing some weightlifting. Yeah. And then so, maybe I mean, that means you, right? That means you're, it's probably like, that's probably, I don't know what your schedule is, but it's probably like a <sighs> 630 wake up call. Like you had a, yeah, yeah. it's not like you have to be up. Like, I guess the biggest thing is like, it's not so much getting up when you get older. It's like, now you have to actually do something, right? You have to be like, I have to actually get up, go yeah, do something yeah. versus lounge. So that part, I think that will be an adjustment period. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to yeah, sugarcoat yeah. it. One dog or two dogs now? One or just two? one, just one, just All one. Right. Well, don't get don't. I mean, do your best not to get another dog. I don't know. I no, don't know if that no, really no, works. No, no, like in my no, family, no, no, everyone no. just trying to get more more pets. I'm I'm trying to like fight them off, but like it's not working. They're you know, no. they're, they're you know, you know, Brandon. Every year I'm trying to be more optimistic and uh, a good person. But let let me just let me just this is this is a uh, uh, this is sort of like you know stress release. Just like I don't fucking want another dog. I don't want another pet. I got, I got, I got three creatures I have to take care of. My wife and I. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, but like I, I just, I, I, I very philosophical. I think this is, uh, you know, I don't want to get like too deep into personal psychology here because you know it, it would go way off the rails. But like, I just think you're wired one of two ways. Like I like, I'm wired in such a way like I like to minimize dependence how many things are dependent on me how many things am i responsible i feel like that's what i'm generally doing in life it's like it's almost like you're trying to automate things have them take care of things that you don't have to be involved in so Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. why like that's because people are always like you don't like dogs i'm like i do i'm fine with dogs i enjoy them i just don't like always want to have to be you know letting them out and walking them and i it's like, i don't know no one really buys off on this like every time i try to explain this they look yeah, at me yeah, like yeah. I, uh, it's I, like I, i'm an alien like i'm an evil person i'm just like no i just don't want the responsibility and it's well, like well, why, well, why listen, don't you want the responsibility it's like i don't want it we we to your point we don't need to go off on a tangent on this but i feel like we have in our hands right here a really good operational thought exercise metaphor for purchasing enterprise infrastructure software, right? Yes. And let me lay this down. I would be happy to have a dog if three things happened. One, someone else walked the dog regularly, right? Okay, four things. Two, someone else cut the dog's nails regularly, right? Yes. Three, someone else like uh fed the dog and watered the dog regularly i think number three happens pretty well and then four i know when a package is arriving because they ring the doorbell i don't need an animal to let me know when a package is here right yes so so like if all of these things were removed i would love the dog right and i feel like i don't know if this is a uh, build your own uh multi-region kubernetes cluster or or on the other hand if it's buying from a vendor kubernetes cluster but i feel like the dog in my situation is a strong analogy for the sort of like multi-cloud thing that you may be building or buying from someone else i i really would like the um 
I think I think the phrase they use is I, I would enjoy the business uh, outcomes. I just don't want to have to like pick up the business outcomes poop. Like that's five things. There's five things I would like to happen. <laughs> the fifth one is picking up the dogs. Like poop. we're like we're like in a real enterprise sales scenario, right? You're because you just keep uh-huh. adding stuff. You're just like, oh well, hold on, I need this fifth thing. So I love now. Now that? the dan- the danger is that the huge danger that you have is that I am going to sign a multi year agreement yeah. to have someone some someone outside of our family come and walk the dog and pick up the poop. I'm going to outsource. Yeah. Yeah. This this thing. And now the problem is initially I'm going to have a great meeting with with the person who comes and walks the dog. They're going to give me all these great feels, talk yep. about how they like dogs. Yep. But they are going to optimize on price so they can optimize on profit. Next thing I know, I've got this person that I've never met before who's coming to the door with like 10 dogs strapped to them. 100%. And, yep. and they they are walking the dogs along. I don't know what's happening with my dog. The dog comes back. She's more nervous than when she left. Yep. You know, she smells. And uh, and I'm still paying the same amount, uh, even though one person is walking 10 dogs. Whereas really, when I talk with this, this uh, let's call them uh, partner. I talk with this partner uh, person that I met. And they just walked the dog on their own and they were so yeah. nice and uh, well-dressed yeah. and, you know, I don't know. You got to watch out for this kind of stuff with, uh, with, with dogs. Hey, everybody. It's me. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. And best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. I was perusing some uh, how to do all the various DevOps things on Azure. It's extremely extensive. It even shows you building pipelines and Uh, It covers everything from the basics to uh, even more complicated things. So it's a good overall introduction, it looks like, no matter where you are are knowledgeable of things. Maybe I'll catch up on how to actually use GitHub since I stopped programming way back in the mid-2000s. Anyhow, CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. That's probably what I would need. Uh, I'd have to find the track first and get on it, but once I was there, getting some help to stay on track would be great. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash sdt. That's C-B-T-N-U-G-G-E-T-S dot com slash sdt there you can sign up for a free learning offer where you can sample portions of popular courses for free by signing up with your google account and as a bonus you will be entered into a drawing to win a six-month premium subscription start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash sdt and of course we thank them for sponsoring our show all right well this week brandon as always you've curated an excellent selection of items and i think I was, I was, uh, I, I've been keeping track of and reading these things, and I wanna, I wanna pro offer a framing for what's been going on this week, and that is, that is, I think we have a new era. We love open source here, like I, I like to talk about it a lot, and I think I don't quite know what to do with this, but when you mix together open source, enterprises, and cloud, I'm gonna throw out this phrase: we got open, free as in beer APIs but closed expensive as in champagne source. Okay. 
So we used to have, you know, like you got, so I think the phrase, I think source is the problem. We got open source. Right. But I don't think that phrase makes sense anymore. Right. right? Like, because I don't think it's, I, and as, as, as with most things, most things that I say on this podcast, I don't know if I actually believe this. I'm just throwing this up on the whiteboard to see what happens. But I, I don't think the phrase open source is viable anymore as a uh as a as as like an economically self-funding thing i I think there's now Stephen o'grady he had a post which i think could be reduced to doing an open source business is hard and i think that was basically it (laughs) that was it that was the whole thing yeah right and so because okay so you read in detail the uh the supreme court finally ruled on the uh the google google versus oracle Right. Thing, right. right. And tell me if I'm wrong, like I read through it, but I think what they said, and I think there's some nuance and so forth and so on that in this case, which of course will be generalized, right? In this case, if you copy a copyrighted API, right? Java. Right. And you implement it with your own code, you're cool. Like no problem. Right. So I think I think what this has established is that an API can never be charged for. I mean, you could charge for an API, but you cannot enforce. You can only pay us for the API. Right. So there is one small distinction that does yeah. matter that you said there was that ruling explicitly does not de- uh, determine if you can copyright an API. Okay, so they they, uh, said, right, right. Okay, they okay. basically said uh, Justice Breyer here, you know, in the uh, in the opinion for the majority said like they basically said we are not ruling on this. They explicitly say we're not going to rule on this now. What we're ruling on is that an API falls under fair use, and they go through. There's okay. like these four things, right? And so the reason it matters though is like that they just basically are saying we're going to punt on that question um, because. And I think the reason they're trying to get to that is just to say, like, hey, if we just say this is fair use, it means what you were saying. Anyone can use these APIs going forward. You won't have to license anything. But they're kind of staying away from areas where Congress has has said that, like, yeah, you can copyright source code, right? The implement like long implementations of like anything, right? That is copyright. Right, right, right. I think the, that. The, so yeah. So I yeah. actually so having read this, and so I think just to give the uh, so I read the opinion. And uh, we can talk about a little bit more about some of the fun stuff in there. But I feel like it was very pragmatic. Like, it's sort of like I find myself kind of aligning here with the majority. It's like, hey, like, we don't necessarily need to, like, get into all these other questions. But the nature of APIs are such that they are, I, I read it, it's like, it means like they are meant to be shared, right? And essentially, you know, something yeah, that you implement. Yeah. And I think all the people listening to this, the Java interfaces are basically, that's what they are, right? You basically implement them. Um but just to give the uh, dissenters here, right, uh, their, their due, right? Because I, I, I immediately kind of read who dissented, and I just I, – I sort of don't like those people. So I just immediately was like, I don't write it. But I was like, oh, let me read it. Let me, like, be, like, more open-minded. And I get what they're saying. They're just saying, hey, you, you, you punted on the main question. Like, hey, you can't – like, you the main question here is copyright. And you can't just say, I'm going to punt on that. And I was like – so I, I, intellectually, I understood that argument. It comes from, like, an intellectually consistent place. But then I was like – no, no, no. I'm, I'm like, I like the pragmatist side. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, good, good ruling was my, uh, my take. Yeah, yeah. It is. 
I, I think I forget how long ago it was, but we did we did sort of go over the uh, the uh, multi the, you know depending on how this ruling went, like what it would mean for various communities, right? And like like one of the things that's interesting to ponder is so 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 tell me if this characterization is correct. It basically says effectively. If you have a, I don't know if they made a, a distinction between public, protected, uh, and package level and private APIs, to use the Java terminology. So, you know, we've got at least four layers of like which API is which. Right. right? But if so, if you have a, let's call it a public API that you have published, mm -hmm. I think what it effectively means is that you cannot prohibit someone else from implementing that api with their exactly. own code yep right exactly which implies if done correctly that you cannot prohibit someone else from duplicating your software at least in so much as it's publicly interfaced with yep right yep mm -hmm. and because they go through so, here they, they call it out i think it's something like 11 you know essentially if you just look at the Java API, so something like 11,000 lines of code right, or something like that is what they came to and yeah. said. And then they kind of go in there and it's like, I don't know, there's like 3 million lines of code in like implementation Java. So they basically said, it's like, yeah, you can take these 11,000 lines, which basically defines like, which is essentially the JDK, right? All the, the yeah. uh, innovative. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can just take that and then implement it. And I, I was thinking back to, was it Eucalyptus? Weren't they the ones doing yep. like yeah, uh, exactly. an API for AWS? For, for Amazon. Yeah. Amazon yeah. rather. Yep. And um, I think that that sold off, right? I mean, that would over. be an example. Right? Yeah. But that'd like, be an example. So I don't know if it was even, I don't even know if there was a legal question at the time they did it, but it's, it's like, yeah, they can do that. So, so yeah. So, so, I mean, so that mm -hmm. another example would be like chips, right? Like, like the, the x86, like, uh, I, and I guess AMD does this, right? Like, AMD is compatible with Intel chips right. and I have no idea what the, uh, the legal copyright, right. whatever is, but there is like the X80, the Intel X86. Is that an API? I don't even know what it's called. Yeah, Well, this like was, the, um, that was settled over like way back in the day, compact. Right. And I think, uh, there's even, uh, halt. Really? Some, halt well, that's and, frustrating uh, that, 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 that's frustrating that carry that over now. Precedent. Well, huh. I was gonna say, it's like kind of a different thing, but yeah. So what they determine, I think, they just halt and catch fire is sort of like a mm -hmm. loosely based on compact sort of doing that. So what, what was determined there was they kind of came up with all these things like they could basically reverse engineer the instruction set, but then they uh, had to have a clean room. So it's like they got to the point of like, these are the instructions, but then there was a separate group of people who had never yeah. seen, like in theory, had never seen the Intel chips or anything. And what they had to do was then go implement it all, right? So in this case, the instruction set, right, that actually runs that runs that is the same, but the chips were independently built. So that would be the equivalent of like I see, I see. lifting the API. And the example they given here is like Java.ling. I think it's like math max, right? So you could basically lift that function or lift that API, and then you can implement it. So in the case of Compact, they lifted the instruction set, and then they re-implemented the chip to do it, but it was completely independent. And then they had to go through a pretty, right. they had to ha like demonstrate the the process that there was this like, uh, if you will, Chinese wall between the people oh, that yeah. uh, did it. So, so you could have said like, I mean, I don't know if that argument was made. I think, you know, you and I get it 
uh, pretty quickly that that seems like the same, but I guess, you know, difference between hardware, software, you know, I, I could see that. Yeah, you could see yeah, where this I, would be a different question. Yeah. That distinction makes sense. I, I mean, for, right, right, right. So, so then also, so, okay. And the eucalyptus example is good. I mean, what that basically means is that if you make publicly available an API or an interface, anyone can duplicate it yeah. and implement it, right? So that's wide open now, right? Yep. And I think that also implies that, that, you know, this is one of the things where, you know, I'm not sure if uh, I didn't read the ruling uh, in detail, <laughs> but like, it also implies like some interesting, like, like, I wonder how it affects like open source licensing, right? Because again, I think what it says is that I, I would think that all that it implies is that the only thing that you can protect is the implementation of, of your code, right? Which would mean, you know, to, to bring in another thing that uh, people are interested in now, like whenever Amazon goes out and just like, you know, doesn't have a good biz dev deal with whoever, and they just implement, uh, you know, Mongo or whatever, that they're totally fine, right? Like all of that is validated and it's like fair play, right? Which has another trickle down effect that not only like AWS has effectively been doing this to, uh, to startups and other companies, but that it's actually like the Supreme Court has said it's cool. Right? Well, like it's a but there's a distinction there because, it. I mean, we'd have to look at each AWS project because it's kind of different. I think in many cases, AWS is basically starting with the entire open source code base, right? So they're basically saying, this is open ah. source and I'm going to take what you've done. I mean, all of yeah, the code, yeah. right? I'm taking everything, the yeah, implementation, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to host it and, and serve mm -hmm. it up, right? But in this case, they're not creating, at least I think AWS would say like, in most cases, they're not trying to create a derivative work. They're just saying, I'm yeah, going to yeah. take all the code because you said it was open source. I'm just giving the AWS view of this. And yeah. I'm just going to host it and run it because you've done such a good job, right? And then yeah, yeah. the people that run those projects are like, wait a minute. No, that's not like, we're not good with that. We Right, not cool. We're not cool. So now, but what could happen, and you could say is AWS, if they were to choose, they could take the APIs of an open source project and re-implement the whole thing, right? Which is essentially forking it for their own, their yeah. own reason. And, uh, of course they could do that, but that would just be a lot of work, right? It's like, why would they, you know, especially if, in the case of Android here, right? They had to do it because it's like a different, you know, different chip, different, like everything, you know, had to be implemented in such a way that it would be very friendly for the mobile phones and stuff like that. So in this case it was, and I think, you know, this is where in the opinion, Justice Breyer just kind of calls out, it's like, kind of doesn't make sense to like, do you, I mean, the whole idea was to like make it easier for people to create new things, right? And I think that's kind of the gist of yeah, this opinion. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like you shouldn't have to teach everybody a new API if you're just trying to like let them build new stuff, right? And the yeah, fact that Google yeah. did re-implement everything, it's like, okay, fine, right? And so, I, um, yeah, and, and and so it has another position I was thinking about, which is I, I don't know the exact words to choose for this, but it does have an interesting. Uh, clarifying like effect on the distinction between a patent and a copyright. Right. And so a copyright is, and there's also trade secrets and whatever, but like, right. like a copyright is sort of like this text as printed may not be duplicated by other people or Mickey mouse. Like, you know, th this, this visual rep. Hmm. Is it always visual? 
that's an interesting thing for copyright. I mean, I mean, I guess if you no, have copyright text, text is very common, right? Yeah. I mean, books yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, right, right. But I, you know, if you have copyrighted text, so you can also copyright like sounds. Yeah. Right? So you have mm-hmm. that. And I wonder if you can copyright like, like if you were, if you were uh, uh, deaf and blind, how do you, like, do you copyright, copyright like a sensation that you get through like feeling something? Like, I wonder where like, the senses and copyright like stop mixing with each with each other anyways so you can copyright like um let's call it text like the exact uh order of a stream of characters or sounds right however a patent is more like you are patenting a specific way to do something right like most famously uh for us american history people or people who are forced to take american history you got the uh the uh, uh, the combine, like the thing that would Eli Whitney's yeah, the like uh, cotton, right. the, the cotton yeah, the gin, gin, and yes. then and then also like uh, what was what's the other one? The uh, interchangeable parts for making guns. I think that's what they teach us. That uh, were the two major patent things. <laughs> and so and so those <laughs> are know, very like mental. No, we need to update our examples. But go on, yes, yeah. So so those <laughs> are history. those are literally illustrated very specific here is how we implement an idea that you copyright i mean i'm sorry that you trade that you uh patent and so (laughs) what this is saying is that an api is not one of those things so an api api that thing the key thing here is api falls under fair use right just like just like you can quote just like you can quote text out of a book like short you know short passages out of a book can be quoted under fair use and like your, you know, your English teacher doesn't get in trouble if she photocopies like yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. pages of James Joyce, right? Like she doesn't kind of, she or he won't be like sued, right? Cause that's fair use. So that's, that's the distinction here, right? They're just okay, saying okay, fair okay, use. Okay. So, so, but however, if I have an 11,000 line API, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be fair And anyone use. can yeah. implement it. Yep. Like what's the distinction between fair use and no copyright? Well, I I think it's just, it's one of those things. I think the, um, I think where the court is going here is like, they just didn't want to weigh in on that because it just makes the whole thing about is source code copyrightable, right? Which, which they're kind of saying what I think they're trying to do here is like wink, wink, nudge, nudge source code is copyrightable. And what they're trying to protect there is like, if you've implemented all 3 million lines of something, Yes, you can copyright that. And yes, that would protect you, right? But because we want to keep the software industry working and we like the way everything's working out here, APIs are fair use. So don't worry about it. If if you're using APIs, we're just going to call it fair use and we're just going to stay out of the copyright issue, right? We're just going to, because that way we don't, that way, because if they ruled on it and they said, well, you can't, so imagine this, if they quickly ruled that said, you can't copyright an API, the next lawsuit that gets filed, right, would be, I think you can't copyright any source code. And that has its yeah, own yeah. equally kind of bad outcome. That's why I think this is very pragmatist. It's like, I mean, just look yeah, reading yeah, yeah. into this, it's <clears throat> like if, if we're in the room with the, the justices, I don't know. They, I know they like just type and fax things. So they don't actually talk, right, or whatever. You know, they, they don't do this. But, but <laughs> I if hope we were they having, fax things to each other. Yeah, like, if just we were like having the, the meeting, other office. we would just say yeah. something like, listen, if we just call this fair use, it means... Google doesn't have to pay this $9 billion. We won't have a flood of new lawsuits where this is already being happened. All the APIs that have been implemented, I mean, it's got to be millions, right? No one has to worry about that. And 
we won't face all these legal challenges where now people are suddenly like, oh, no source code can be copyrighted and everything can be uh, taken. And it's, so it seems like a perfect, huh. you know, like a perfect putt, like right down, you know, uh, yeah, uh, right I, into I don't, the, I don't, the cup. I don't know what I think about this now because you have raised an important part uh, point here, which is the focus is on the, uh, to use the phrase again, the focus is on the text, the characters, right? right? And, and for some, you know, hopefully there's some ruling on this, but obviously indentation does not count as the copyright because, you know, you could re-indent things and it would be a different text. And then you would say like, is this the same text or different yeah. text? And well, the whole thing. And then like how much apply. do you have to change it? I mean, this is just the whole idea of plagiarism versus like how much do you have to change a sentence, right? right, right? right. To like how, however, if, if we were to take like, uh, you know, I've been reading the uh, second collection of Susan Sontag's uh, journals. And if I were, if I were to put, to find uh, a Unicode non-breaking space and replace it with a normal space, do a search and replace, that would obviously not subvert the copyright on those journals. I don't right? think anyone like, would accept that. You can't uh, just yeah. do a search and replace no. on some Unicode, Unicode no, characters. No one right? would accept that. I think that would be So therefore, out. like if you replace spaces and tabs in source code, no. this, this doesn't matter. I think, matter, I, think right? I think all white space would be just treated as just yeah. not. White, white space is not copyrightable right. unless you're EE coming. Although if right? we could have a Supreme Court opinion on linters and linting, now we'd be talking. I mean, yeah, talk yeah. about going to town on like that, that I'd be into. Like, okay, okay. That's an so, opinion so, we can get behind right there. So here's the frustrating part. So we've established that. Now, each API specification is a collection of text, right? Sure. And yes, it is correct. like I've I've looked I've downloaded the the uh fully legally. I you know, back when I was a programmer, I downloaded the uh the source code as far as I knew for the sun. Yeah, the whole like implementation. Sure, we all did. Like we all were like, what the hell are they doing? You got to like see. You read see through the, the code yeah. and it's just like interface this. So there actually is a file that has characters yep. that are copyrighted in the same way that like a Sylvia Plath poem is a bunch of characters yep. copyrighted. Yep. And so then the question becomes okay, that is copyrighted. And probably if I wanted to take never minding white space, right? Like if I wanted to take those interfaces of an API and publish them in a book and copyright them and charge $50 for that book. Probably. That okay. If illegal? you were to do that, I think and someone sued, I think they would likely say, this would be my, just my Supreme court prediction would be like, that is copyright, right? What you did there yeah, that, that, that yeah. they would say like those things are copyrights and if you if you put them all in a book, an actual book, and you sold it, I think like would, all of them, they would say they'd probably say like, yeah, that that you need a license for, like that is probably right, right, it's right. probably wrong to do. It. I mean, we ought to, you know, we could ship, we should just try it. Like, if, I don't know how hard that could be. I don't know if it would it would be a boring book of just APIs, right? But like, I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I I read that before I got the BMC job. Uh -huh. I read the uh, whatever version it was, the Java specification guide. Right, right. I rem I remember right. distinctly. I mean, which is I I'm sure it has the copyright in there, right? I mean, absolutely. Right, right, right. And mm -hmm. and so so let's not even get into an API plus the comments and then the documentation that make the specification. That's a whole. Yeah, other, well, that like, for sure. That is for like, sure like going to be copyright right there. Yes. So yeah. okay, so I make a book that takes all of those those sun interfaces and mm -hmm. i publish it i might have a preface on it like hey how's it going i'm okay. i'm doing this right now we can kind of agree that that is illegal right i mean i think it would be tested if we only included original text 
or the actual just the just the APIs, right? I mean, this would be a boring right, right, ass right. book. I mean, this would be maybe one of the worst books of all times. But if Best you did seller. that, <laughs> if you did that, <laughs> like I I don't know. I mean, I think it would be an open question, right? Because I think it would. Because um, then I guess we'd have to say the question I think would be challenged would be: Is that fair use? Is publishing okay, okay. this book like that under fair use? And I think okay, okay, people so, can come so back if, and say if, no, it isn't. If you do it in totality, okay, I've got two more steps. So if you do it in totality, right? Okay, yep. And, and let, let me switch to analogy. You know, I, I don't know why I'm picking Sylvia Plath, but if I publish all the poems, which I, I they're probably still under copyright, of Sylvia Plath in right. a book. Def- definitely wrong. Definitely yeah. illegal. hundred percent. Right? That, that yeah. is- Copyright so violation, yes. All of the poems, not is fair it poem use. or poems? All, all of her, all, her, her corpus. Yes, no pun intended. Like her body of work, all of it is copyrightable. However, and and we we might even say that understanding the uh, the creative, the poetic expression of what she was saying, her poems are an API into that. Right, they are the only interface mm. into the implementation of what she was saying. You can't see the implementation. But if you read the comments and the documentation, you can kind of like understand the intent of what, and what the impact is, right? Like, okay, we don't yeah. know we don't know how ZFS is implemented, but we know the interfaces and we experience the impact of it in the same way that if we read a poem, we experience the impact and we can kind of infer mm-hmm. what is going on there. So, so, however. Now here's the walk down, right? Like this is the uh, it's 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 the opposite of a Zeno's paradox, where you're you're moving out from a single point. Okay. So let's say let's say Sylvia Plath. I don't know how many poems she has. Let's say she has a hundred poems, right? If I publish ninety nine poems, is that fair use? I don't if think so. I, I think I think it would right, be a couple. If, if, if I go to be a couple you know, lines, right? If I go to ninety eight, ninety five, nah, 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 like I think it need to be like a fragment, like one. One in right, the right, right. Or something like that. So, so let's switch back to an API. We've got a hundred API calls, right? right? If I publish ninety nine of those API things, is that fair use? Right? Like, I think, listen, I down mean, and down and down. I right? think okay. So, if we were, if I was arguing the case in uh, in front of the Supreme Court and say, like, listen, I think the, you'd go back to the overall implementation. Be like, hey, out of three million lines, I published eleven thousand. Right. So that would be the equivalent of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Right, out right. of this entire book of poems, I published yep. half yep. of one. Right. And so I would say, hey, it's it's like, I, you know, and I think he, he goes into uh, uh, in the opinion, they go into like, don't get caught up in 11,000 because it's a small percentage of the overall work. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I think we yeah. could make the case that like is still under fair use. It's a small fragment of a very large body of work. And we're putting it yeah. out there. Uh, for that now the fact that we put it in a book though and like there's no no implementation behind it and there isn't really it's like that's kind of like it is kind of a weird case i don't know i think people would maybe say the apis can be under fair use but your use of it in this when i actually did this is like that's not going to fall under fair use right yeah you've actually gone too far right you've done something with it that's wrong yeah okay okay I, i i like that that there's like millions of lines of code and you're only taking eleven thousand, right? So, so then the other analogy, just to uh, beat the horse into glue, is if Merriam-Webster publishes a book of words and the meaning behind the words, that doesn't mean that I have to pay them money every time I use the English language. 
Yeah, no, because they don't own the, they don't own the copyright to the all to the words, right? I mean, they right, right. Yeah, so. They don't own the copyright to the API of the English language. No, not at they all. They own, right? yeah. but they own the copyright to the definitions, to the implementation. Yeah, as far as yes. they have defined. I think it, you're right? exactly so, right. I think that's a good way to yeah, think yeah. of it. A dictionary. The words are always under fair use, not copyrightable. The descriptions of the definitions of the words would be copyrighted. Those are the right. implementation, how, right? How how Merriam-Webster writes the code of how those words are used is copyrightable the definitions right yes. but like but like the act the api of the words themselves is not copyrightable and not to mention that like going back to your word it's just not it's just not pragmatic right yeah, like you doesn't, can't it doesn't work you can't you can't like copyright an api there it, it, there is no like i shouldn't say you can't copyright an api you restricting the use of an API defeats the whole point of having an API. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that's, that's an important distinction here. Well, listen, before we move on, I just wanted to make two other, uh, as we've uh, talked a lot about the substance, I think we want to talk about a little bit about how it was delivered. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, uh, investment bankers and PowerPoint and all this other stuff. And so I just think this is a great example. Like they have two diagrams in the opinion, right. And they're like, mm. one, this opinion yes, yes. is formatted, almost in an unreadable way. I guess there's some precedent of what it is, but like, it's just like a tiny column all this white space in this PDF. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it has awful. hanging indents. Everything hanging about indents this is awful. Not like, be, should, yeah. Awful. I mean, yeah. I just can't even believe this is how we do it, but I'm sure people explain to me like legal precedent is what it is. But my point is like this opinion is, a, uh, is a legal decision by the United States Supreme court. Right. And it will be read by hundreds of thousands of lawyers going forward, right? And the diagrams in here are frankly just pitiful. But the reason I think is important, right, is like, you know what they are? They're good enough. You know what I'm saying? And I just think like, yeah, you think of yeah. like, this is legal text that is part of the historical record, part of thing that lawyers would, and it's like, you know, this is good enough. So when we're talking about the pitch books, and all the PowerPointing stuff that like, you know, get all your, your thing. Like you look at this, like all the arrows are at different angles or there's stuff moving around. Like nothing's really formatted. They just have some arbitrary dotted line. It's like, this is my whole point back to the Vincent being like, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all. If the Supreme court of the United States can issue a diagram like this and be like, it's good enough. Let's not spend any more time on it. Then certainly your pitch book, you don't need to spend 85 hours lining up, everything to be you know, top line indented and middle centered and all this other stuff. It's like, that's, that's, I think that's the great lesson for this. And because, and also too, the formatting clearly, of course, this is well-written. I mean, it's kind of written in legalese, so it's, it's kind of boring, but like, you know, it's obviously written really well um, by a legal standards, but it's like, yeah, all that matters is the words, right? I mean, even the fact that they've done it in this crazy one column thing, it's like, fine still works. So, so I just think to me, it's a great example of like, if it's good enough for the Supreme, I may use this later. If the Supreme court is fine with this, then do we really need to go back <laughs> and update all the slides to be in the new brand? Can't we just move on with life? So that was my little bit of the, 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 this, uh, delivery there. I, I, I think that is the, uh, that is the rhetorical lesson we have learned rhetorical in a capital R version of the, of meaning of the term. Like it is, uh, yeah. It's uh yeah, if it's good enough for the Supreme Court, like really all we're all we're doing with this text is deciding how to spend twenty thousand dollars. So do we really need to have a good presentation? It's it's, it's not really that big a deal. Just just move on. Mm. 
Well, so, uh, you know, connected to this. uh, So so tell me about this Tide Lift thing, Brandon. I read a summary of it. You read much and more in depth. So I use this thing on the Mac called Set App, which is kind of like a app store in an app store where uh, I, I, I think what they do is they kind of like subsidize people who like sell you these uh, Mac apps uh, through it or whatever. And it seemed like the, the tide lift thing was a similar thing of like, if you want to use these things, you si- like open sourcing, you sign up for tide lift and we will sort of like give money to the project. Yeah. I'm, the, the quick backstory is, you know, I think inside and kind of back to your, your earlier comment about open source, does it even mean anything anymore? And one of the open questions that we've talked about numerous times on the podcast, and I think it's kind of floating up again is how can people get some type of compensation for working on open source? And so Many things have changed and now there's kind of this notion of like potentially kind of like the gig economy getting into software development. And so GitHub sponsors, that's something that GitHub's announced where, you know, some people kind of call it a tip jar or something like that, paying people to work on stuff. Right. And actually I'll, I'll, rec- I'll leave it here in the show notes. Uh, Chris A from the, uh, the Linux foundation, you know, he has a pretty long uh, write up about like some of the problems that he sees in it, but like in the software defined talk Slack, there was a lot of talk about well, what are some different models? And so Tidelift is one uh, company that's kind of putting it out there. And so their idea is essentially, hey, work on your open source project, but host it here, right? And what we'll do is we're going to charge subscriptions to enterprise companies, and it's really one place for the enterprise company to say, like, okay, does it have all the right security stuff? Does it have all the right licenses? And anyone that's worked at a large company, even if you want to use an open source project, you have to go through like legal and then you have to show that you're only using uh, the right version that has the right license and that it's utilizing the latest uh, security standards within that project. So Tylift is basically saying like, hey, we will, if you host this here, we'll help you make sure that your project conforms to all of that. And then we're going to charge a subscription to companies that want to use your open source project, right? And then because of that, based on how often that project is used, they will then give the developers, the open source developers working on it, you know, essentially some part of, you know, some um, percentage of the money and say, well, we'll, mm-hmm. and, and so the more often your project is used, the more the bigger the percentage of the money that you can get. And I like this because something I've been thinking about is we've heard about Substack, right? Which is sort of like all these independent writers essentially writing usually some type of daily newsletters. And then, you know, our friend Matt Iglesias or Ben Thompson, right, uh, do that. And they make a really good living. And the reason they can do that is sort of like all of these other things are taken care of for them, right? All the, you know, getting yeah, the money yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I like the idea. It feels like this is where something like this is where open source needs to go, where it's like, hey, if you want to just build an open source project, let me, if you will, take care of all these other things, all the subscription for you. But let me do it in such a way that you can get, I think this is the key distinction, the key, that you can get a nice livable salary, but you're not going yeah, to make yeah, yeah. millions of dollars. And yeah, yeah. I think Tidelift seems like one of the more interesting ones doing it, but it's very new. So I can't really say it's successful yet. It's just an attempt. So we'll see yeah. what happens with it. Uh, yeah. Mm. It's, it's hard to do a middleman business where you've got like conniving, clever people that you're middlemanning. That's, that's, that's what I always find, right? Like who, who are like always trying to figure out the angle of how they're getting scammed, or at least they're sort of like that's in their mind. So I don't know, maybe it would be, there, there are plenty of like good middleman services. Well, I think, you know, one thing I thought we could just kind of walk through is like, okay, if you are somebody that wants to work on an open source project, like we should just yeah. kind of go through, like what are the ways to do it today? I think still the best way 
if you want a just a good salary, you're not trying to be million, you know, make millions. You just want a good, comfortable salary, and you want to work on this project. It's it's still, I think, to go find a company that cares about that project and will hire you to work on it. Right? Totally. I mean, I still think that is like the number, and that's probably the vast majority of open source development falls in that category. For sure. Somebody yep, is yep. got to getting paid to do it. So the, and that, that just may be ultimately that always just may be the answer, right? Like that's the whole thing. So I think the question is like, do we need another way? Right. I get, um, and then there's of course all the various open source business models that are under various attacks, right? Like I'm going to like yep, go take yep. a venture capital and I'm going to try to do it. It's like very difficult. So I guess the question is like the indie open source project. Right. And I think, the Linux Foundation did something a while back that I found. Um, they were doing this thing. They call it like this infrastructure, right? Where basically everyone kind of came together. Remember OpenSSL? Remember that bug? There was like everyone was, mm. everyone was using it and everyone was like, no one's maintaining this. So they kind of out of that, they essentially came up with like core infrastructure. And if you go to that project today, they basically are funding people. And it's really like all the big players, Google, IBM, everyone's basically funding. And it's just basically yeah, yeah. saying... Hey, we want developers on these projects all the time, and we all agree just to pay their salaries. But they technically don't work for any company; they work for the, uh, the Linux Foundation, right? So that seems yeah. to work well too. Like if you're so core, your library is so core to everything that it needs to it, you basically get it in the Linux Foundation, and then this group will pay you. So that's the kind of option too. Yeah, right? it's it's like uh, uh, what's her name? She she's at the uh, she's at the hardware startup company. Like she pointed out a like couple Jesse, years ago. Jesse Frizzell? Is that yeah, her? yeah. She pointed out that there's like this one person who maintains Bash. Yeah. Or, or something like that, right? And like, you know, are they funded appropriately was the implication. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I think yeah. you have the Linux standard. So that's the option two. And then now I think the question is like, is there an option three where something that isn't, if you will, hasn't been accepted as core infrastructure, still widely used, people don't want to or can't work for large corporations to be paid to do it. They want to do it on their own. And then like, is some type of sub stack tied lift uh-huh. model the way to go? Right. And that way that people could just work on it completely independent, you know, keep it up to date and, and not have to go start any company. Right. They're just basically, they're, they're the Madiglades. So just write the newsletter every day. They get paid. Their That's nice a good salary, experiment. You know, that, that, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple of things. One, I wonder whatever happened to that hardware company. That would be it's still out there. Out. They're still doing their thing. They're still, I think they're still yeah. just working on the servers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It takes a while to do that. And and then, you know, this, so this goes back to my little phrase, right? Is I think I think going forward, what you want to do in open source, and I think, you know, to some extent, I don't know. I haven't reviewed the code, but my sense is <laughs> the following is true. That like Kubernetes is mostly an API. And a lot of the actual implementation is done by other things, right? Like if I were to go download, like, I don't even know what it means to download Kubernetes, right? Like, right. but if I were to go download it, like, I think I could get something up and running, but I don't know if that would be what I would use in production in totality, right? Like there probably would be other things I would add in and and probably like, implementations I would swap out and I've got this weird storage array over here and then I got to make it work with Ali Cloud and also Azure, like all these different things that I would have to do. And so it seems like what you have with something like Kubernetes or like various like serverless frameworks or whatever is you basically have a, and I'm putting it in air quotes, an API. Like here is like the most basic level way of doing this. 
Whereas like what's really valuable is the further implementations of how you satisfy those, the, the intention and the architecture and the design and the API, right? And so that stuff, that code is what you uh, basically don't open source and you charge for, right? So like what you want, what, I don't know who, who you and want to be is, but like what becomes, it's no longer so much like open source, like the source code is just not like uh, sustainable. It's not sustainable to have all of the source code be free because like you got to pay rent. Right. And, and so like, at some point you've got to be like, uh, we got to charge for this source code. So instead what we'll do is we make this API free and the actual code, the implementation that we have, we're going to charge for, and that's closed. And we don't really like give that away. Right. And so that, you know, and then you add in like the, uh, the cloud vendors who will just like, as you were saying earlier, earlier, they'll take your, uh, open code and figure out like the proper way to do it versus, you know, with the, uh, the licensing, everything, and they'll run it and totally just like mess up your business model. And so it <laughs> seems like, I mean, I don't know. I think every year, uh, that we've been doing this <laughs> podcast, I kind of suggest the same thing which is like, it's really hard to make money off of stuff that you give away for free. And so you've really got to like balance that out. And I feel like maybe the implementation of the APIs is like the thing that uh, going forward, uh, you don't really provide free. Yeah. And I, I think if you kind of even go one level deeper there and you say, well, what, what are the problems that open source is solving? Right. And I think part of that is like most corporations, like they are afraid to be you know, it's not so much lock-in, I think, as it is like, I'm worried that I'm going to have to pay you forever, okay, to use this product, right? And that, uh, and if I don't want to do that, like, I just won't have any options, right? So this is sort of just enterprise maintenance, right? So I think those companies offering more options, more license options, like, listen, if you pay me, I will license not only this, but I will give you all the source code as well, right? At a rate yeah, yeah. that is, that's acceptable, right? So instead of that being like, $20 million maintenance bill every year. It's like, you know, just pay me a, a one-time fee. And that way, like you've minimized your risk. Like if you decide you don't want to upgrade or something like that, you actually have all the source code and you can do what you want with it. So that's, that's one thought, right? Some of it's just like, could we come to a better pricing model? And then two, I think what a lot of these, what you're kind of getting at is like the idea of like, Hey, you put an API out and then you do uh, some kind of sample implementation or like re relatively small implementation of it, which many of these companies have done, right? And you say, yeah, yeah, you can use this. And then when you're ready and you have the need, you license the, if you will, the enterprise version and, and you do it. But when you do that license, right, you say like, I can offer also, also offer a, a license to the source code so that you don't have to pay me every year forever if you don't want. Um, but I don't know, I, I, you know, you kind of get into... Why, you know, there's a whole nother segment of people who are like, no, all source code should be free. It's better for it to be free. And this, everything should be in GitHub. And it's like, to your point there, that you always run into the problem. Then what, how are you ever going to get, you know, how are you going to make money? How do you make it sustainable other than someone funding you? Because they're, they think it's important. There's just no other yeah, answer yeah. to that question. Yeah. It, it, for, you know, for some inexplicable reason, it seems like uh, uh, software is one of the only I'm sure there's other ones, but it's like one of the only things where you like celebrate not making money in the open source world, right? Like it's just, it, it's, a, it's a strange, I don't know. 
it's, I don't know. You tell me what day. you think. I think some of it though is I think some of that comes from people who are working on source projects can often get very high paying jobs at yeah, large corporations, sure. right? Yeah. But they they get so ingrained in working in the the software and that they, you know, it's like that sort of blinds you to like, well, you just want to work in open source because, you know, someone's paying you. You're not feeling the pain, right? You're yeah, not feeling yeah, the yeah. pain of like, I need to make money on this because someone else is taking care of that from you. And that's why I think people get so passionate. It's like, I just want it to be open source. What I think they're saying is like, I want it to be open source while I'm being paid a very good wage by a large company. And I want to continue to work in open source and I don't want to have any restrictions, which kind of is what we all want in our job. Right. So it's like, that's good. But like, if I was to take that job away from you, right. Or if I was to say, you got to make money on yourself by yourself. I think, you know, the question is a totally different question, right? It's like what you, you then have to live that pain. Um, So I don't know. That's just something I always wondered. It's like the people who are the biggest proponents, often have really good jobs behind that. Yes, right? yes. So yeah. As as I'm fond of saying, like money only doesn't matter to people who have it. <laughs> it's that is I mean that's that's that seems true. Right. I mean Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well uh so Brandon, yep. do we have any bureaucracy to go over? We do. We do. So this week I sent uh stickers to I think it's uh Gemini uh, in Dubai. So looks, Dubai looks like a fantastic city. I've never been there, but I want to go. Um, so really appreciate, uh, her writing in. I also sent, uh, stickers to Jake in Colorado. He says we are his, uh, favorite podcast and he loves us a five-star review. So everyone feel free to do the same. Follow, follow Jake's lead. Uh, and then, uh, also wanted to let you know that Ryan from uh, data dog wants you to know they are hiring a uh, technical writer and a technical curriculum developer. It looks like you can work remotely or you can work in New York City uh, with all our friends at Datadog, right? Datadog's always doing good stuff. So as always, if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at Software Defined Talk, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Yeah, stickers also go well on bikes. I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I, I was seeing that one of my bikes uh, doesn't have a sticker on it, so I need to put one there. And I was, you know... What I, you know, bike theft is an occurrence here in Amsterdam. My, my son's first bike was stolen. I mean, really, who steals, who steals a kid's bike, right? Like you're going up and down the streets. There's bikes everywhere. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe you're that guy from, uh, what is it? The, 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 uh, the, the French miserables and you just want some bread. So you're going to steal a kid's bike so you can get some money to buy bread. And next thing you know, the Wolverines there or whatever. I've never actually seen that movie. Uh, but it seems like, I mean, really, don't steal a kid's bike. Like what's going to happen is in the morning, the kid gets there and they don't have a bike. And it's a kid. Like steal an adult bike. Steal my bike. Don't That's steal right. my son's bike. That's right. Steal Anyhow, <laughs> I've been thinking like what you got to do is you have to uh, somehow find a place on your bike to put like a software defines talk sticker that no one will notice. So that you can be like, did you check to see if there's a sticker on there? That's right. Because that's my bike. So you've got to find some place to encode this thing on the bike that uh, marks it as your own. I don't know. So uh, maybe that's what you could use stickers for. Anyways, we got some conferences coming up too. The CFP is still open uh, for a little bit longer. It looks like tomorrow, if you want to uh, speak at Spring One, uh, which is going to be September 1st and 2nd, I help select all sorts of DevOps and other Agile talks there. I just had a little uh, uh, status meeting about a, uh, we're going to have one of our spring tour things. I think it's on the 27th 
uh, no, it's on the 28th. And then we've got a, a April 27th. We've got another one on April 28th. If you're over here in, uh, as Brandon and I were talking about in the, uh, the pre-show, EMEA. Yes. And uh, all sorts of fun stuff going there. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 293, you can find links to those conferences, both of which you can attend for free and you should definitely check out. And with that, Brandon, what is your recommendation for this week? All right. My recommendation is a fairly old series on Netflix that I just discovered. It's Formula One, Drive to Survive. There are three seasons following uh, Formula One racing. So I guess if you're a Formula One fan, you probably already know about this or you already knew about these seasons. But I uh, really didn't know that much about Formula One before watching it. But I have to say, captivating. The whole thing was captivating. Um, Of course, there's a lot of car racing in it. But what I thought was interesting about it and kind of back to like some, uh, some management theory here is that uh, in formula one, a very rudimentary understanding, there are just 20 total cars. They are, there are 10 teams. And of course there's kind of like no uh, salary cap. Uh, you can spend infinite money. I guess they've recently changed the rules, but what I think is very interesting about it is that these people racing, uh, they all are racing on kind of different cars with different amounts of money. So like the Mercedes has the best cars and other people don't. So what that means is that you are essentially being compared most of the time against your one teammate. So you're obviously racing against the other teams in the other track, but what, what really matters, are you better than your teammate? Because you're the only two people in identical cars. So I think it creates a fascinating, huh. um, a fascinating dynamics to watch, right? Because you, you really are, uh, as they kind of talk about, like your biggest competition in Formula One for a driver is your teammate the other driver? Yes, you want to win, but if you're not doing better than him, people are going to look at you and say, like, you have the same exact car. And so a few weeks ago, Kote, I think you brought up the point where you're talking about some management stuff. And it reminded me of this, of this idea of that, like, in every corporation, you really, like, people don't like to say this. And I'm going to break some news here. But people are like, you really are, every product in every group is competing for resources, right? You, you mentioned this a yeah, few weeks yeah, yeah. ago. And... Yeah. Oftentimes it's true. Like people, I, I know this is like uncomfortable, but like your major competition inside of companies is sometimes other people in your, your company, right? Like yeah. your peers. And it's Always. like the fact that like in formula one though, it's just out in the open. It's like, Hey, every day I can just look in and uh, see if you, if I'm beating you or not. And they don't like, they don't really beat around the bush. Like the, the people running, like in this case, they call them like the team leaders, the guys, the managing directors of formula one. Like they just call it out. They're like, He's not as good as the other guy, right? Like he just say it, you know, they just say it. There's no like, and it's like, if he doesn't pick it up, um, then, it, and then they also do, you know, post race meetings, right? They, I, I, you know, I don't want to like the blameless postmortem. I don't want any more email on that. You know, that was a sort of bad thing, but, but essentially they all put on headphones. They all watch the race. And during their meetings, everything is basically categorized mechanical failure, driver error, or it's just something that you couldn't avoid. Like you got hit from the side, like you did, you know, there's nothing you could have done. So everything yeah. is like, there's like, well, I'm just going to call it accountability, right? At the end of the meeting, there's accountability. Yes. Like you, the driver, either you either crashed the car and it was your fault or the engine broke and it's the engine guy's fault or a uh, woman's fault. So, so I just think I was like, wow, this is like, I'm fascinating to me because everything's out in the open. Whereas I think oftentimes that this, I guess it was a culture I felt like very familiar with. Although I have nothing to do with Formula One, I can never drive a car like this. But I was like, this culture reminds me of the culture of cor- corporate America, but we never talk about it like that. So yeah. that's an incredibly yeah. long recommendation around like 
I loved everything about it. The palace intrigue, the racing. I'm all in on Formula One. I'm going to try to watch some races now, now that I know some teams. Uh, Cote, I think uh, Dell sponsors one. I know that's sort of your broad thing. Oh, so, yeah. So I think sure. you're, you're, you're in there. I think you're like Team Mercedes. Uh, there's an Australian driver. You know, I think that's uh, – I figured uh, Matt would uh, cheer for him. And then there's like an American team, I guess, by default. The American team's not very good, but I guess I'd have to cheer for them. So, so if you're yeah, into yeah. Uh, Formula One or you just like to watch politics amongst race car drivers that may, <laughs> that may remind you of your own life, Check out uh, Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Formula One stuff. I mean, I don't really know about NASCAR either, but like the whole, yeah, the 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 rules and the structure of like race car stuff is always fascinating in the sense of like, how do you regulate? It, it, it's sort of like the equivalent of like the, the issue is, you know, you can't have like your uh, other athletes on speed. So you have to regulate like the, the, the mechanics of what they're doing and how you regulate that in like cars is weird. Like, I don't, I don't know what you would do, but anyhow, there you have it. I'll probably never check that out, but I like your overview. That's good. I, I <laughs> am. Enough. I was reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I don't know. Maybe I will. I'll, I'll have to see. I was listening to some podcasts recently and realizing that like, wow, People watch a lot more TV than I do, but also their kids are older than uh, my minimum age. So maybe that's the secret. Anyways, I was uh, I was finishing up to your point. One of the points you're making, I was finishing up my latest O'Reilly uh, booklet and uh, I encountered my old zero thumb theory, zero sum theory. I feel like I'm the only person who's like, like is always talking about how within companies you're competing with your peers and it's like this zero fun budgeting thing. And I feel like, I don't know. Am I an asshole? Like, well, it seems I think like, you may want to whip out this Formula One analogy. Like, you know, so I, you know, go ahead. If you think it works in there, I think it's a good example. Yeah, High yeah. performance teams competing against each other. Yeah. Anyhow, so my, I've, I've got two recommendations. One of them is uh, a very minor one, which is uh, peanut M&Ms. <laughs> you know, you got regular M&Ms and you got peanut ones. And, and it's true. Over here in Europe, the chocolate tastes a little different. And I just ate way too many peanut M&Ms. If, if you were watching the stream, you would see it. And normally I don't eat them because I get the feeling that I have now, which is like, I should not have eaten all of those, but they are delicious. Right. So you should check those out. Now, the other thing now, I, I might've even said this over the years, but I was never a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I always found it just too like loopy and ludicrous but i started reading it again recently and it's pretty good it's relaxing it's just like there's no uh it's not difficult it's easy to get through and i i almost think like the uh sort of flippant attitude about life and uh, everything i think that's one of the books too it's almost uh comforting to just sort of be like oh i don't know i might suffocate in space or i might get picked up by a space ship like it's a uh, I'm thinking about that a lot, a lot recently. That's some good guidance for life. So speaking of guidance for life, hopefully you have been guided about what to do with your life in the past hour and maybe a few minutes more because you've been listening to Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 293. You can also look there to see how to uh, join our Slack channel and uh, sign up for our, our uh, newsletter list. You'll get a newsletter each time uh, that we release an episode with all sorts of things we didn't talk about. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. 
You know what I found is that often, I mean, it's like everything else. Like when someone tells you no, what they actually mean is like, no, or you could tell me yes. <laughs> 